By juxtaposing different authors and by rewriting selected sentences, she identifies the essentials of several antithetical literary styles, showing in the process what different wordings do to a scene and to a reader. Writers such as Victor Hugo, Sinclair Lewis, Thomas Wolfe, and Mickey Spillane are covered, as well as A.R. herself. By rewriting her own sentences, she shows in startling terms how seemingly minor, even trivial, changes can utterly destroy or reverse an artistic effect. I can only hint here at other fascinating topics between these covers. A.R. explains how to stock one's own subconscious and thus create one's own inspiration as a writer. She explains what to do when one is blocked, or, in her words, suffering from the squirms. She discusses drama versus melodrama, what makes a character intelligible and a characterization profound, the difference between authors who tell and those who show, the nature of proper versus sick or vicious humor, how to handle or as reader evaluate fantasy, tragedy, flashbacks, exposition, slang, metaphors, and much, much more. A.R. was expert at philosophical detection. Although this course focuses on the principles of literature, it identifies, as A.R. characteristically does, the deepest philosophic issues involved. Those unfamiliar with philosophy will be astonished to discover the extent to which abstract issues, such as the mind-body question, or the free-will determinism controversy, or the advocacy of reason versus of faith, actually influence a writer of fiction, shaping his selection of events, his method of characterization, and even his way of combining words into a sentence. A.R.'s book on aesthetics, The Romantic Manifesto, was based in part on the same 1958 lecture course. Because the manifesto deals largely with art in general, however, there is little overlap with the present book. On the contrary, the art of fiction serves as an extended concretization of the objectivist aesthetics, and thus as an invaluable supplement to the manifesto. Most of its content is unavailable in A.R.'s other books. Tora Buchmann has done an outstanding job as editor. I suggested to him an extremely difficult assignment, to give us A.R. faithfully, the identical points and words, but freed of the awkwardness, the repetitions, the obscurities, and the grammatical lapses inherent in extemporaneous speech. Mr. Buckman has delivered superlatively. I have personally checked every sentence of the final manuscript. Now and then I thought that some nuance within a sentence of A.R.'s had been unnecessarily cut. These have been reinstated. Not once, however, did the editor omit, enlarge, or misrepresent A.R.'s thought, not even in the subtlest of cases. Using the original lecture transcripts as his base, Mr. Bulkman has produced the virtually impossible, A.R.'s exact ideas and language, in the form of written expression, as against oral. This, I believe, is the only form in which A.R. herself would have wanted these lectures to be published. If anyone wishes to check Mr. Bulkman's accuracy, the original lectures are still available on cassette from Second Renaissance Books, 143 West Street, New Milford, Connecticut, 06776. When I first read the manuscript, I was astonished to find how much, in the decades since 1958, I had forgotten. I had expected to move nostalgically through familiar material, but I found myself continually arrested by A.R.'s unique insights and colorful illustrations. I was also moved by passages whose language and passion evoked for me the inimitable personality of A.R. herself. 
You too can now experience the joys of attending a course in A.R.'s living room. You cannot ask her questions, as I could, but you can soak up her answers. If you do not know her philosophy of objectivism, you will probably be shocked by some of A.R.'s ideas, but I am certain that you will not be bored, and I think that you will profit from the reading. If you do share A.R.'s philosophy, I know that you will enjoy this book. Leonard Peikoff, Irvine, California, September 1998 Editor's Preface Ayn Rand prepared for each of her lectures on fiction only by making some brief notes on a sheet or two of paper. For instance, the material presented here as Chapter 1, Writing and the Subconscious, was delivered on the basis of the following two sentences in her notes for the first lecture. Is there an innate literary talent? The relationship of the conscious and subconscious in fiction writing. Given the extemporaneous nature of Ayn Rand's lectures, the transcript of the tape recordings had to be edited before publication. My editing was aimed at giving the material the economy, smoothness, and precision proper to written prose. It consisted primarily of cutting, reorganizing, and line editing. In general, I cut discussions of issues that Ayn Rand later covered in the Romantic Manifesto. Most of my other cuts aimed at eliminating the repetitiveness typical of, and proper to, oral communication. Ayn Rand often stated a point several times, in slightly different words, to give her listeners time to absorb the point. In such cases, I selected the statement I judged superior— sometimes combining the best parts of different statements. In the main, this book follows the structure of Ayn Rand's course. I did, however, make many minor transpositions within her general structure in order to conjoin related points or achieve a more logical progression of argument. Also, the book's chapter divisions follow the logic of the material rather than Ayn Rand's lecture breaks, since she often covered related material across those breaks. The chapter and subchapter titles are mine. A lecture given by Ayn Rand in early 1959, as an addendum to her course, has been incorporated into this book. It forms the bulk of Chapter 4. Also included are some comments on fiction that she made in a 1969 course on non-fiction writing. I am grateful to Robert Mayhew for bringing these to my attention. Finally, when Ayn Rand referred to passages in her own or Sinclair Lewis's novels, I sometimes supplied the relevant quote. I made only a few editorial insertions. These are marked by square brackets, while parentheses always signal Ayn Rand's own asides. The line editing consisted mainly of eliminating unnecessary words, rearranging the order of clauses within sentences, changing the tenses of verbs, etc., I also added words that were clearly implied by the original grammatical context and necessary for a thought's completeness. And within that context, I made word changes where this improved the precision or economy of a sentence. I did not, however, freely restate any point in my own words. I am confident that none of my changes has altered Ayn Rand's intended meaning. Nevertheless, the reader must bear in mind that the following pages have been edited by someone other than Ayn Rand herself. He must also remember the extemporaneous nature of the raw material. In Chapter 8, Ayn Rand compares the conscientiously precise style of her own published works with the style of Victor Hugo, her favorite writer. Using a metaphor from painting, 
She says that Hugo's brushstrokes are wider and more impressionistic than hers, whereas while hers are wide, someone who approached them with a microscope would see that every strand was put there for a purpose. In this sense, the style of the present book may be described as more Hugo-esque than Randian. The brushstrokes do represent Ayn Rand's views, but every strand does not necessarily reflect her